0: For tuning in to another edition of TGC Midweek. After two weeks off, we're back on the pod. Jacob and Michael joining you as always. Michael, what's happening, man?
1: Back on the pod. I love it. Not a whole lot. Just getting settled back into life after a few weeks gone. Dude, tell me about your trips. I know. Plural trips. Well, they fell on top of one another and it, it wasn't planned that way. I mean, it was planned, but I hated that it had to happen that way. In fact, i looked at my schedule for the year and i'm taking all of my allotted vacation time by july 9th mm. so the latter part of this year i've got no vacation it's left be to working take. man i know um but the first week uh, i was with a group of guys in colorado uh, other pca pastors that i'm friends with and we met for a week of uh, reflection and prayer and um, relaxation did a little bit of hiking And uh, it was a lot of fun to catch up and to pray for one another. Um, And then last week, Rachel and I uh, were celebrating our 15-year wedding anniversary in Florida, uh, the panhandle of Florida, northwest Florida, beautiful white sand beaches. Oftentimes, you'll get clear water. You Mm -hmm. know, it feels a little bit like the Caribbean. Um, And uh, it's just hard to beat the beaches um, in northwest Florida. So we like there. Congrats
0: on 15 years. Thanks. What did you do while you were at the beach?
1: Well, you're not going to like this a whole lot, probably. We sat on the sand, uh, sat on a chair in the sand uh, and looked at the waves, um, read a novel, um, ate when we wanted to eat, walked on the beach, played a little bit of golf. It was really just a pure vacation.
0: I don't understand beach vacations.
1: I love them. I wish we could have stayed (laughs) for another week. You sat in one spot for hours on end. And watched the waves, and looked at pelicans fly oh, overhead, and man, talked to Rachel. It was see glorious. your first
0: your first vacation sounds that that's my kind of trip. Yeah, you know? yeah. Alarms, early mornings, itineraries.
1: There was itineraries schedules. and schedules the first week. In fact, the first week was was technically not a vacation week. It was uh, what what I call and what I get two two study weeks mm-hmm. a year, and um, that would have been one of those study weeks. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was really refreshing, but different than a vacation. Sure, I think. Sure. Yeah.
0: Man, I just I don't I don't get the beach vacation thing. A couple of years ago, Brittany and I went to San Diego, and I had schedules and itineraries and things that we were going to do. And she said, one day we're going to go to the beach. And we went to the beach, and it was <laughs> in uh, La Jolla or whatever that little beach town. I bet it was beautiful. There. Oh man, it was it was very picturesque. All these people sitting on the sand, watching the waves with the seagulls. And I was bored out of my mind. <laughs>
1: the only thing but I'm I was
0: supposed to I'm supposed to lay here and pretend like I'm oh asleep yeah. while someone walks a with a bare feet three inches from my face. Come yeah, on. That's
1: right. Yeah. The only Ugh. thing I would want to plan on a beach vacation is where we're going to eat. Yeah. That would be the only thing I'd want to plan. Ugh. Otherwise, it's, you know, we're having late dinners because we're trying to watch the sunset at 730. Uh, we don't want to miss that. And so we'll normally watch the sunset and then go up and take a shower and then go eat after that. Uh-huh. It's kind of nice. No kids. That was another thing.
0: That could be a vacation in itself.
1: I mean, yeah, that was a, that was a big one because, <laughs> you know, we didn't have anyone else to worry about. And we weren't trekking a ton of stuff down to the beach every day. Yeah. Um, and they were well cared for here. Um, but we'll actually do it again with them in, a, in about a month. Uh-huh. And uh, it'll be a completely different feel.
0: Kids are great, but they're the worst.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is a vacation when we take our kids, it's a trip. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that that that's right. It's it's kind of a work trip when it
1: <laughs> you were definitely so working. Relaxing. Yeah, you're working for sure. You're laying down your life.
0: Well, Michael, now that you're back, give the people what they want. Tell them your boost and your bummer.
1: Well, my boost has to be uh, just 15 years of wedded bliss with Rachel. Uh, that we're celebrating actually on May 19th. Um, But this trip that we took last week was uh, kind of the 15-year anniversary celebration. So it was just a great time away uh, of relaxation and connection and um, really great. Very thankful to be able to do it. Um, My bummer has to be I came home, and this happens to us often when we come home from being out of town, A furry critter has made his home in our attic, Ah. and it's a a raccoon, likely. Dude. And this has happened to us probably three times, and every time I don't call the critter uh, exterminator, I try to do it myself. Of course, as one does. And so I've got a trap, and in the past, I've trapped the raccoon on my roof. You set it up there in the evening, and at night, the raccoon comes out, and... They like to eat marshmallows. And so you put marshmallows in the trap and, you know. Also garbage, but yes. Garbage, but, you know, marshmallows (laughs) is kind of an upgrade for them. And you hear that trap snap and you go out there and you see you caught a raccoon and brought it down. And I don't know if this is technically legal. I'm not going to look into it because I don't need to know. Um, (laughs) I take them to the trailhead, you know, Uh that's about a mile, half a mile away from my house and let them go. Um, and lo and behold, we come home after our vacation and we hear scurrying feet, you oh, know, no. in our ceiling. And, uh, so I've been trying to trap a raccoon the past few days, man, I've, I've caught two squirrels yeah. so far. And, um, but I can see where that raccoon got in. You can tell he tore my siding, oh, geez. got into the attic, but I'm going to get him Yeah. So,
0: Hey, so when you take the raccoon to where you release him, you said it's about half a mile from your house. Yeah. Do you walk that distance? No, I put them in the back okay. of my car I was in, just thinking, in the cage. Like, man, you would get uh if I just saw my random neighbor <laughs> walking
1: with a raccoon down the <laughs> yeah. street. I don't that's weird. I might bring them to your backyard and let them oh, loose. Dude, we get so many
0: <laughs> we get so many things in our backyard, uh, mostly armadillos and porcupines. And uh yeah. Dog has run run ins with them and when it's a porcupine it's the worst. <laughs> so yeah, we need a trapping operation in our backyard oh. for sure. Um, Well, Michael, as folks know, we've been going through the Bible for some time, which seems like a little bit of a uh, redundancy for a theology-based podcast, but just kind of been walking through it, kind of a summary overview of sections and chunks and been in the New Testament for some time, picking up this week with the book of James. Yep. Probably now through the next couple of weeks through the end of May, it'll be kind of sort of one book at a time, or small groups rather than chunks, as, as we've kind of done. So um, hitting James tonight, Martin Luther's least favorite book of the Bible, yep. a source of some controversy sometimes, a very practical book. Yep. What can you tell
1: us? Yeah. Well, um, we know that it was written by James, and uh, James was a brother of Jesus and a leader in the early church um, in Jerusalem. You can read a little bit about James in Acts chapter 15. Uh, where uh, you read the um, account of the Jerusalem Council having to make decisions about how Gentiles should be behaving and acting um, once they came to Christ. Um, It's a short book. It's a little bit of a hodgepodge of, uh, you know, the closest that the New Testament gets to wisdom literature, I'd say. Um, And a lot of pithy statements, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of memorable um, kind of uh, analogies and metaphors. Uh, and illustrative um, things that James uses in order to get his point across. And uh, it was written, um, you can see who it was written to there in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. And so this was really a letter that was written primarily to a Jewish audience, a Jewish Christian audience, Jews that had come to believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior, the long-awaited Messiah um, that the Old Testament promised. And it's really a book about putting your faith into practice, uh, really a book about taking Christ's teachings and primarily his teachings from the Gospels and applying them to everyday life. And so... As we read Paul, not to say he doesn't apply the gospel because he does mm-hmm. in almost every single one of his books or letters that he writes, but James really focuses on not talking about the theological doctrines of justification by faith as much. He just jumps right into applying those things and how we live our everyday life. Is, is any of
0: that related to the fact that it was probably the earliest New Testament book written? I'm just yep. trying to think of like if it's – if it 's the earliest book written, what is i guess first on people 's minds or like the first thing that you need to communicate i don 't yep. i i don 't have this thought all the way completed, so how might that influence the theme wow. of james
1: that 's a great question i haven 't really thought about it uh much, but you 're right. It probably was one of the earliest books written. Had to have probably been written in the 40s because the Jerusalem Council took place somewhere around 48 A.D. And it was such an important event that most folks say that James would have mentioned it Uh if it had happened already. Um, And uh, but, um, you know, without Pauline theology in his mind, that probably, you know, colored some of the ways that James wrote his letter. Mm hmm. Um, We have no indication that he had any of the books that Paul or letters that Paul had written. And so he had no lens um, through which which to synthesize things through what we would call Pauline theology. Um, And so it's just in some ways, it's another flavor um, of an author in the New Testament that was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write God's word and... You just get a sense that this is Mm -hmm. James. I mean, it's James, and he is who he is writing with a certain bent.
0: When was Paul's first letter written? I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, it's fine. We didn't talk about this before.
1: Well, Galatians is normally uh, the book that most folks would place as Paul's earliest letter in mid to late 40s, 48, 49 AD. And so most folks, I think, would say that James is likely the earliest or at least one of the earliest letters that we have in the New Testament.
0: But there's no—so the reason I'm asking that is how much does James— there, there's this idea that um, James and Paul are in some way opposed to one another, not like the persons, but like the the teachings of James and Paul are might be opposed to one another. So I'm trying to think, like, is James— could he actually be writing against something that Paul's written? But if, if Paul's just writing at about the same time that James is writing his, his book, it's unlikely. I, I'm trying to yep. say this and maybe I'm shoehorning no. this into there, but it's unlikely that James is writing specifically to, um, address Pauline theology or rebuke it, refute yeah, it in any yeah. way.
1: Well, that's, I think, why Martin Luther didn't like this book, obviously, is because it, it seemed to stand against uh, much of what Paul had written. But this is this is a great opportunity to talk a little bit about um, how we interpret Scripture. Um, and we have to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, yeah. meaning that if we read something in James, we believe that it is the inerrant inspired Word of God, And then if we read something in Pauline theology in one of his letters, it's not, is James right or is Paul right? It's how do we coincide or reconcile these two principles together? And so the way that we would do that is to say we are completely saved by grace through faith. I mean, we need to turn that up to 10 on, on the volume in our minds. But, you know, faith without works is dead, is James' whole argument. And so we need to turn that as well up to volume 10. And I think about, you know, when Jesus talks about you will know people by their fruit in the Gospels. I mean, when when the fruit picker comes along, I mean, there's no hiding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the fruit doesn't earn salvation, um, but the fruit is a demonstration that we've received that salvation. And now we're living a life of gratitude in response to what we've received for free. And so I think that's where folks get a little bit sideways with James. They just feel like you know, doesn't mention Christ in the book, except for uh, there in verse one. And I think one more time in chapter two um, does allude to Christ and Mm -hmm. his work throughout the letter um, and also mentions the Lord. Um, But um, a lot of folks get sideways with James because of that. But I think it's so important because these days, oftentimes when we talk about holiness, folks automatically think we're legalistic. Yeah. And that is not the case. Um, It's all about what does holiness, um, how we think about holiness. We're not earning God's favor through our holiness, but it's meant to be a response to the grace that we've received. Mm -hmm. And so if we're just grace, 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 we can do whatever we want. You know, Paul addresses that in the book of Romans. That's antinomianism. Um, We don't need the law. We don't need any guidance in our lives. And James is really a good um, governor in some ways uh, to come and say, you know, turn up grace all the way, but as you follow Jesus, I'm going to give you some wisdom in how to do that in your day-to-day life.
0: Yeah. Um, so returning to a thought that I, that I was kind of thinking about before, the, the study notes that I've got here, Reformation Study Bible, puts Galatians in like the mid-50s. Ah, um, so that's where I was thinking that like James is probably writing before Paul has like fleshed out anything really, mm-hmm. so he's not directly attacking that. So I wanted to that I wanted to kind of put a bow on that whole point. Yep. there that that I was trying to make your point about uh, holiness here. Is there? I, I'm returning to this question of why would one of the first things that one of the apostles write to an audience be. Against antinomianism, when so much of the um, the center of Christian theology and the center of the gospel is justification by faith alone. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, just don't. Yeah, don't know. I'm trying to think of like what could have been going on at the time. Well,
1: that's a great question. I don't think that James would have. And this is me kind of reading between the lines with um, some sanctified common sense and knowledge. I don't think James would be writing specifically against antinomianism as we understand it, is and as Paul articulates it in the book of Romans. Not a
0: conscious antinomianism, yes. but like a de facto antinomianism.
1: Yeah, a de facto antinomianism. I think what he's addressing more is if these small communities that are dispersed throughout the world – continue to act in the way that they're acting with regard to the partiality that they're demonstrating, Mm -hmm. with regard to favoring the wealthy and despising the poor, uh, with regard to using their tongue to tear down instead of build up, that it is going to completely ruin the countercultural, beautiful community that Jesus came to establish. And so he really presses into those issues, not to say, hey, y'all don't care about the law. Obviously, these Jews likely did care about the law. Um, he's basically saying, you're all talk and no show is, is I guess, a way that you can think mm-hmm. about it. And so what does it look like to actually produce the fruit of righteousness in your life in response to what Christ has done? And so I don't know if these folks were flouting the law, but in the way that they were interacting interpersonally, they were not being the light and salt that Jesus wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. And so this book that James writes or this letter is really all about him trying to get them to live that countercultural beautiful community in the midst of a dark world sure so let's talk about this faith
0: without works is dead thing because this is where people get get tripped up a lot i i have this thought that i want to run by you that i don't i haven't read anywhere else so it's probably wrong <laughs> uh, but i want you to tell me why when i hear james say faith without works is dead But I'm trying to understand that in light of the rest of scripture, which places, especially in Paul's letters, this high emphasis on salvation by grace alone. What I'm getting from that is that um, faith as sort of a, a concept or a way of thinking by itself is nothing. So people like in our culture today... Have faith in everything, even people who have no religious affiliations at all. If you're going through a hard time, they'll say, I mean, just have, just have some faith. Mm -hmm. But it's like faith in what? I don't understand what that means. And say, so could it be possible that when James says faith without works is dead, he's speaking not about faith without faith in Christ without works is dead because point one A here, that category doesn't really exist. Could he be saying that faith just sort of Abstractly or loosely con- conceived doesn't mean anything
1: I think that he could definitely be saying that well, He um, could
0: be saying anything
1: I think like he little I little think <laughs> I think he would say that I think he's taking it a step further and I think he's specifically saying if you claim to have faith in Christ uh-huh. and aren't producing the fruit of the spirit if you uh, if your life isn't mirroring uh, the countercultural community he wants to see established here on earth then that faith is dead. I I think about Christ on his way uh, to his death and specifically uh, going into the temple during the last week and he comes upon a fig tree that's not producing fruit. Mm -hmm. And obviously what's a fig tree there to do to produce fruit and to feed people? And uh, when he sees no fruit on the fig tree, he curses it and um, they come back and that tree is withered. Um, And I think that you can apply that parable that analogy to what we're talking about here i mean if you're a tree um if you are in christ you're meant to be producing fruit for the life of the world Mm -hmm. and if that fruit isn't on the tree something's wrong with the tree and so um that's that's kind of an image i think that we can have in mind like the tree our our faith in christ is is what gets us into the kingdom Um, it's, it's a free gift, but there is an aspect and you even hear Jesus talk about it in the gospels that you will know them by their fruit. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of what James is hammering on here, um, that, uh, if you don't have the resume, um, and even that word, you know, strikes against us because Paul talks about my resume but he's not relying in these things. Yep. They're evidence of life inside is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. A tree has life. And how do we know that? Well, it produces the fruit that it's meant to produce. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's the way that James is getting at this. So
0: the the language of our fruits, our evidence of faith is is one that's common and one that I have no objection to, I think, is a useful way of thinking about it. Um. Where I get, where, where I'm trying to drill into is how much stock should we place in that evidence? Okay. And what I'm trying to say mm, is, yeah. is if someone is a professing Christian and doesn't have this, like, how much evidence do they have to show me before I regard them as a Christian? Yeah. And I think anytime you ask how much of something, you're probably thinking about it incorrectly. Sure. And at least when it comes to Christian theology, you know, James says, it's interesting that he says faith without works is dead. He doesn't say faith without works is incomplete, although later he talks about Abraham's work completing his faith. But I think that's a little bit of a different point. He doesn't say faith without works is lacking something. He says faith without works is dead. Almost as it's, it's like faith without works is like a null category. Yeah. Like it's just... A corpse, like it it doesn't do anything. You have no life. You have no life. Yeah. So the fig tree thing, um, I don't know if if it's the the best analogy because that tree was alive.
1: Sure. You know? Yep.
0: So we wouldn't say that your faith was alive, but after a certain time, you weren't, you hadn't had enough scripture memorized and you didn't know enough hymns or mm-hmm. you hadn't helped at enough soup kitchens and so your faith is dead. Yep. So... That that's where I'm kind of trying to 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 think through this, and I think that idea of faith without works kind of being a thing that doesn't exist. Like this is a category you can't operate in because it doesn't exist. Anyone who has faith in Christ will produce yeah. within their life good works. Yep. that is automatic. Yeah, and it's done by God. Yep. So anyway, that's that's yeah. my my thought on the whole thing. I'm trying to get us a I'm trying to get us to think about how much should we push back or advocate for. I think pushback this this fruit watching thing that you see oh, yeah. a lot of times.
1: Yeah. I think that's dangerous. Um, and I think it's gotta be a more personal reflection in some mm-hmm. ways. And it, it should pa- it should cause you to pause and reflect how is God at work in my life and heart right now? And what is the fruit that is being exhibited because I have a vital relationship to Jesus? I mean, I think about John 15 and Jesus calls himself the vine and we're the branches Mm -hmm. and we only produce fruit. We can do nothing, he says in John 15, unless we're connected to the vine. And I think that might be a better analogy for James, um, where if you're connected to the vine, you're going to produce fruit. You're going to have life coursing through you and it's going to manifest itself in love and service and justice in your life. And I do think there's a point where, you know, we can get pretty legalistic and even judgmental um, amongst brothers and sisters in the church. Well, you know, you're just not producing enough fruit. Mm -hmm. And look at all I'm producing over here, and you need to get, you know, step up your game. I don't know. Um, There might be a a way where the formal leadership of the church can have a little bit more – ability to step in especially when it comes to church membership yeah um to hear a profession mm-hmm. of faith which is all that's required but also to drill in a little bit to ask you know well how are you growing in christ yeah. what kind of fruit is being exhibited in your life and that can be a great question um, to ask yourself personally and also to ask friends um, that know jesus um, but I think you're right. I mean, you could abuse this in so many ways, and it could become just a backdoor to legalism. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think more important than how much fruit you're producing oftentimes is, are you connected to the vine, is the first question. And then it's not about how far along you are, it's are you pointed or connected in the right mm-hmm. direction. Mm-hmm. And so somebody that's followed Christ for 20 years is obviously maybe going to be more in tune with uh, living the life, um, that, you know, Christ wants them to live, um, as opposed to somebody that's brand new in the faith. Sure. So, um, you know, you've got, you can't judge others relative to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, you've got to judge, uh, folks relative to where they are in their life with Christ and what the Lord's called them to do and be. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, man, that's a good question. I think, I mean, we're getting right at the heart of why this is such a hard book for mm-hmm. Martin Luther. Yeah. And for maybe folks that read it for the first time. Yeah. But I think it's especially applicable in
0: our culture because, um, you know, this is changing. But at least up until recently, it was pretty easy to be a casual Christian or something or, uh-huh. or um, thrive within a Christian milieu without actually possessing uh, true faith. And so, so many pastors and writers and theologians in American evangelicalism want to root that out so much that you have guys like Paul Washer basically causing legitimate Christians to question their assurance because it's like, "Are you doing enough sure- uh, w- well, if you haven't sold everything that you own and moved to China to be a missionary are you how do you know you're really following God It's like, oh well gee am i mm-hmm. am I really safe like Works in the con in the conversation around works should not cause you to question your assurance sure the The works and the fruit in your own life should be a bolster to your own assurance, yeah, for the purposes of strengthening your faith
1: yeah yeah, absolutely,
0: <laughs> so it's almost as though the works exist w- for the individual Christian at least the works exist to strengthen the faith of the Christian,
1: mhm, yep. And to bring life to the world. It's a both and. Yes, and of course. And, and I also, about, you know. I think about Paul Washer too, and I'm not very familiar with some of his teaching, a little bit more familiar with maybe um, David Platt, you mm-hmm. know, who wrote Radical. Um, yeah, And then you exactly. have Michael Horton with a response writing the book Ordinary. And um, I think that James, one of the things that's important to think about when we read James is he's not necessarily encouraging people to sell all they have and and move to Spain, which would be their China, you know, as missionaries. He's kind of talking more about how we use our tongue in everyday life, um, meaning how we use our speech, how we speak about one another, um, how we uh, refrain from gossip and Um, how we protect other people's reputations. He's talking about how we care for the poor in our midst. Mm -hmm. Um, And these folks that he's writing to are likely meeting in house churches that are dispersed across Jerusalem, uh, maybe um, Israel itself, maybe a little bit further than that. Um, But as you might imagine, when you have a house full of folks— And you've got a few people footing the bill, and they're coming in, and they're a little bit more wealthy than the other people. They're getting preferential treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, Folks are completely despising or forgetting or overlooking the poor among them. And James reminds us that God has a heart for the poor. In fact, those are the folks that he is most inclined towards in many ways when you read the Old Testament, widows and orphans and those that are oppressed. And um and you know, James isn't necessarily saying you gotta sell all you have. It's a little bit more mundane and simple than that, which I yeah. think makes it more palatable to us. At least it does to me. Because yeah. I might not
0: be able to sell anything, but I can start looking at my the person in the row in front of me in a bad yeah. light
1: or something. Sure. Or using your words to build up and yeah. love as opposed to tear down and destroy. Um, Or to think about your wealth with a completely different lens, Mm -hmm. Um, knowing that, you know, we're stewards Mm -hmm. of God's um, goodness in our lives and we're meant to use those gifts uh, for the furtherance of his kingdom and uh, to bless others. Um, That's kind of what James is is getting at. Um, That's that's so interesting. I hadn't thought about
0: that before, but he's really talking about um, works as it relates to your participation and membership, In the local church, essentially,
1: yeah yeah, I mean that I mean, that is what he is addressing yeah. in most most of James
0: man, that's such a great point and, and yeah, but makes it makes it something you can chew on a little
1: bit more. It does, and it also um, it's an evangelistic mm-hmm. um, uh, encouragement because the more that Christian communities are actually living out what James is encouraging them to live out the more beautiful they're going to become in the world's eyes. Um, I mean, obviously they're going to be the aroma of life to some and folks are going to be interested in the beauty that they're demonstrating, the love that they're, um, showing one another. And it's probably going to be the aroma of death to others. Um, meaning that, you know, folks look at them and, um, think this can't be real. And, you know, you're making me feel bad because you're so good. You know, people sometimes think that. So (laughs) sure. Yeah.
0: Um, Man, that's the that's the major theme, I think, in James. that's it, certainly what people think about uh when when you start talking about James. Are there any other themes or points that you wanna that you wanna hit? It's a fairly short book.
1: Yeah. I mean, he talks uh a little bit about patience and endurance and the building of character. Um, but but beyond that, I mean, how many chapters is it? Five chapters? Five. Yeah. Um and so it's another one of those short books that you could probably sit down and read in about uh eight minutes and mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you're reading James, the things you need to know are faith without works is dead. Um, but you like you like we just spent I guess I don't know thirty minutes 30 just minutes, doing. Yeah. You got to hash out what we mean by that so that it doesn't completely steamroll Pauline theology of yeah. you know grace is free. Um, they've got to they've got to come together.
0: Yep, holding holding two things in, in tension doesn't mean that you throw one out or, or the other out. It also doesn't mean that there is a contradiction. Yep. Tension does not mean contradiction. Sure. It means you just got to apply some brain to it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, good stuff, man. We'll be back here next week. Uh, What is next? Peter. We'll do Peter's books next week. First second Peter. Folks, if you've got questions about James um, or questions about the upcoming books in the New Testament that you'd like us to tackle in future episodes, please send those in. You can text those questions anonymously to the number you'll find on the back of your Sunday morning bulletin. Or you can email those questions to questions at trinitygracesa.org. This has been TGC Midweek. We appreciate you tuning in. And until next time, we'll see you later.